0: Show.
1: And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Another great day, another great week. A time when we are counting down now to a presidential election, which, believe it or not, is uh, less than a year away. The Iowa caucuses are scheduled for January 15th, which, uh, again, is just a couple of weeks away and uh pete wehner asks a very important question a uh, question is have you listened lately to what trump is saying it's a provocative and important column uh article opinion piece uh, that ran in the atlantic magazine and uh, pete wehner is a contributing writer at atlantic and a senior fellow at the trinity forum He's the author of several books, uh, The Death of Politics, uh, How to Deal, Heal Our Frayed Republic, and uh, City of Man, Religion and Politics in a New Era, which he wrote with the late Michael J. Gerson. Uh, He was a senior aide and speechwriter to George W. Bush and a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Uh, Pete, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family.
0: I did, uh, Michael. Thank you for asking. I hope you did, and it's great to be on with you. Um, I've long admired your work, and uh, never more than now. So thanks for everything you're you're saying and doing.
1: I appreciate it, and back at you. Uh, Okay, just to to focus on this question, have you listened lately to what Trump is saying? Uh, I think you were struck, based on your article, by... uh, some of the same passages that I was struck by and that actually I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about, Uh, particularly Trump's speech in New Hampshire on Veterans Day when he was trying to honor U.S. veterans. Would you say that stood out as a, a particular passage that people should pay attention to when they're considering Donald Trump?
0: yeah I think so uh you know I, I consider these to be uh links in a uh chain of sort of malevolence uh, maliciousness depravity uh and that is a long uh chain uh, but this is the latest and he used the term uh vermin in in that veterans day speech uh where right he was just just to give to people
1: Ruda. give people a very brief segment of this speech, and the speech goes on and on and on and on. As Trump's speeches do, but he did say, we pledge to you that we will root out the communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country, that lie and steal and cheat on elections. Uh, they'll do anything, whether legally or illegally, to destroy America and to destroy the American dream. The threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous, and grave than the threat from uh, within. Our threat is from within. Now, does that mean what I think it means, that he's saying that we have more to fear from uh, Chuck Schumer and uh, Hakeem Jeffries say than we have to fear from the leaders of Iran or Hamas or Russia or China?
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly what uh, what he's saying. Uh, which uh, shows you the danger that he, that he, uh, that he poses, uh, because that's, that's an absurd statement. I mean, you can have differences with, with the Democrats, for, for sure, but the idea that the enemy within is, is far graver threat uh, to America than the enemy from, from without is, is, is just not, not true. But I think it just needs to be understood in the, in the larger context of, of who Donald Trump is uh, and how he uses rhetoric. Um, and he's ratcheting it up. He, he's been doing it ever since he got on the national stage. It was problematic seven years ago. It's more problematic now. Um, but he has a kind of reptilian genius, I would say, in his capacity <laughs> to, uh, to figure out what his base wants and what he can say to energize them and to catalyze in them tremendous amount of fear uh, and to frame um, his, um, the, our, our current politics and his place in our politics as a sort of existential struggle. Uh, Donald Trump, MAGA world uh, are the children of light, and everyone who opposes them are the children of darkness. So this is this okay. dangerous stop. Uh, it would be dangerous if it was simply rhetorical. But of course, he's got a, a history of things that he's done, including trying to uh, overthrow the election and catalyze a violent insurrection on the Capitol. So when you take all of those things together, um, you know, he's a unique threat. um, And I think the greatest threat to the republic since the civil war.
1: Okay, when you say things like that, uh, basically, uh, you know, the kind of response it it, uh, produces from our fellow Republicans, a majority of whom uh, love President Trump and they love him, quote, because he is a fighter. Uh, what yeah. is wrong with that logic? The logic that says, look, being a namby-pamby, play-by-the-rules uh, kind of non-combatant uh, hasn't worked. Didn't work for uh, Mitt Romney. Uh, didn't work for John McCain. Uh, Trump is a two-fisted yeah. fighter who tells it like it is, and sometimes he goes a little bit far but that's what you need to win elections to which Pete yeah. weiner says
0: yeah i'd say a couple of things first thing is i don't think that donald trump qualifies as, as one of the great winners in american politics he was an incumbent president he lost re-election which is extremely rare and during his reign of power republicans have done very poorly at basically every level he did win in 2016. he he had uh he, he had the uh, fortune of uh, running against one of the weakest candidates imaginable, who was who was Hillary Clinton. And on top of that, uh, for all the talk of the so-called deep state and how it was against Trump, probably the decisive moment in that election is is when um, uh, James Comey, then FBI director, publicly and against FBI protocols, uh, op- reopened the investigation into her computer software, and you in the polls that they, they froze and dropped right then. And when there was an actual investigation into Trump, that was kept quiet. So that's number one, which is the idea that Trump is this sort of political colossus, I don't think, um, squares. But beyond that, I just don't think Republicans of all people, given their history and, and what they've argued about, about morality, objective truth, uh, anytime you get into a position in which you say the ends justify the means. Uh, and that we will do basically anything uh, that needs to be done in order to win, um, that is just not morally sustainable. That's the will to power. That's a Nietzschean logic, which when uh, you and I were members of the Republican Party in good standing, we used to be against uh, those kinds of things. I think what I have discovered with Trump supporters is they continually, dramatically downplay what uh, his, his, his actions and the level of depravity of what he does, you know, it often gets dismissed as, you know, uh, tweets that are uncomfortable. This man has, has been li- been found liable of sexual assault and defamation. He's been indicted four times, 91 counts. He's been impeached twice. He's been uh, found guilty of bank fraud and charity fraud. As I said, he tried to overturn an election. He uh, instigated a violent assault on the Capitol. He accused the joint Chiefs, former joint Chief of staff, Mark Milley, of treason and suggested he should be he should be executed. He's threatened judges and prosecutors. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And the question is, when is it enough for Republicans? Okay, what so the, 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 question, the question the question
1: the question really is, which we will get to. So, what happens with this election? Uh, because, uh, look, President Trump is a controversial candidate. Uh, there is a big segment of the Republican Party that feels, Pete Wehner, as you do, but it's not a majority. So what happens, and where do we go, and what do we do to save America? It's a tough time out there. Wars going on, uh, economic hardship uh, we'll talk to Pete Weiner about where we go next. Coming up on the show, yeah. and on the Michael Medved show, talking with uh, Peter Weiner who is a contributing writer at Atlantic. He is the author of a very challenging piece uh, called "Have You Listened Lately to What Trump Is Saying?" To bring us up to date with something that Trump is saying, uh, and to get uh, Pete's reaction to it. The Trump campaign has already begun fundraising uh, off of a decision by Americans for Prosperity Actions, uh, which is the Koch Network, to endorse uh, Nikki Haley uh, today. And the uh, Trump uh, solicitation derided the uh, Koch-backed super PAC as a corrupt network of globalist rhino donors. A patriot with just hours to go until the 11.30 end-of-the-month fundraising deadline. A corrupt network of globalist rhino donors announced they're going to spend tens of millions of dollars to prop up a puppet GOP candidate to try to defeat us in the primary. Voting begins in only 48 days, and these rhino backstabbers are now going to launch a last-minute vicious assault against us in the early primary states. Uh your your response, Pete Wayner.
0: Well, I, I'm glad that there uh, there are donors uh, that are rallying around Nikki Haley. I think that makes a lot of uh, a lot of sense, um, because the best thing that can happen is the Republican Party morally. Uh, and I think politically, too, is for Trump to be stopped. And she would be, a, I think, a very good alternative in terms of the Trump uh, campaign's attack. Uh, you know, that's far for the course. I mean, that's that's what you would expect. One thing I'd say is when they describe these sort of globalist Republican, right, Republicans, um, actually what they are, uh, who they are attacking are people who were traditional conservative Republicans. Um, these are not the MAGA world is, are not conservative Republicans. They're populists. And they have moved away on some pretty key foundational issues uh, of the Republican Party that were shaped by Ronald Reagan and really um, continued for a generation or or, or more. So um, they are the ones that are are breaking with conservatism. I agree that what Trump represents is the modern-day Republican Party. What I would say, though, is that the modern Republican Party is not a conservative party, and I'm a conservative. It's a populist party, and it's a particularly ugly brand of populism. And as long as the Republican Party represents... That kind of ugly populism, in addition to the corruptions of Donald Trump, it's certainly not a party that I would feel comfortable being a part of.
1: Well, you you for years were affiliated with the Ethics and Public Policy Center. You are an outspoken uh, and, if I may say, devout and dedicated uh, evangelical Christian leader, certainly a thought leader in that regard. What do you make of the fact, you acknowledge it in your article, that uh, 81% of self-described evangelical or born-again Christians uh, say they have a favorable view of Donald Trump?
0: Yeah, I think it's a damning statistic, uh, which indicates or underscores a damning reality, which is, for a lot of white evangelical Christians— Donald Trump is is not someone that they're reluctantly willing to uh, accept um, because the alternative is is the progressive left. He's a figure that um, energizes them, that inspires them, uh, that they even view him in in many quarters as a figure of reverence. And, um, you know, the fact that people who claim to be followers of Jesus would have so much devotion to a figure who is uh, more antithetical to the teachings of Jesus and what I would argue is the Jesus ethic or, or a proper Christian and biblical ethic, um, that they that they would be so supportive of, of, of that kind of figure, uh, the most antithetical to Jesus, I would say, close to in American history, um, is really deeply disturbing. I think it's, it's a complicated topic and a subject, but I think part of what explains it is that faith Turns out to really be subordinate to a lot of other things: politics, ideology, culture, um, and that a lot of Christians uh, who claimed to be guided by uh, their belief in a biblical ethic and would uh, shape their politics around that biblical ethic. In fact, it was the opposite: that politics, partisanship, and um, and and uh, um, uh, and culture are the driving forces, and they take uh, the, the scriptures and, but basically, proof text and, sh- and reconfigure it to support those pre-existing attitudes and ideologies. And it turns well. Out, this, is, it this is this is uh,
1: Pete. Pete, you're bringing up. Uh, I know for years and years and years, you and I both have attacked people on the left for making left-wing politics a kind of substitute religion uh, where there really is this burning faith in so-called, quote, progressive ideals. What you're saying is we right now have some of the same danger on the Republican side of things of uh, using our political convictions as the basis to build a whole religion around which is kind of backward
0: bingo i think that's right i think that a lot of people on the american right have invested almost a religious importance to their to their politics and it creates a kind of cult of personality and um and among other things this is a a long topic we can't obviously get into now but at some time it's worth exploring which is the psychology behind this i mean a lot of these people who are trump supporters MAGA supporters. You know they're good neighbors. They're good parents. Um, they're they're responsible in a lot of areas of their lives. Um, I know friends who are who are MAGA supporters. Um, so these are people who are not morally defective, uh, you know, at their core, and yet they've somehow been able to pledge allegiance to this figure uh, who 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 is a man of depra- depravity and borderless corruption. And how that has happened is. Uh, is not just worrying, but psychologically fascinating because the capacity of the human mind to rationalize and justify uh, certain priors, certain predispositions that we want, and it's part of human nature, but it's it's so acute at this point. Um, and I think that is a lot of what explains how people who insist that they're, they're uh, devoted Christians can find themselves supporting somebody like Donald Trump.
1: Uh, so, again, fascinating piece. Uh, are you uh, listening to what, have you listened lately to what Trump is saying? Worth listening to what Trump is saying? Absolutely, he could be the next president or the new president. And uh, also always worthwhile to listen and to read and to learn from Peter Weiner. Uh Some of his Recent work is posted up at our website at michaelmedved.com. Uh, we will be right back with a uh, left-wing crazy who accuses the Israelis of ethnic cleansing. Coming up on The
0: Medved Show.
2: Your voice will matter. The
0: Michael Medved Show.
2: So I just got one question for you. Are you fired up? Your outlet. Yeah! Are you ready to go? For outrage. Fire up! This is ready the Michael Medved Show. Let's go change the world.
1: And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, subscribe today uh, for our new Substack newsletter, Michael Medved's Context, placing today's big events in the perspective of an honest assessment. I've just added that <laughs> of our past and future. Uh, go to michaelmedved.substack.com and sign up today. And by the way, if you sign up today, tomorrow we're we're planning to do a podcast that uh, begins to look at some of the myths that people believe in and cherish about the Middle East conflict. and one of those myths that's very explosive and controversial because it's all wrong is the association that people make between the great, great tragedy of the Holocaust and then the creation of the modern-day state of Israel 75 years ago. Uh, Did that uh, really act as a cause and effect, or is that a fiction? And why does that fiction persist? We'll go to that. Uh, check it out at uh, Michael uh, Medved. Uh, dot Substack. Dot com. Uh, one very prominent uh, critic of Israel. She's actually Palestinian American. She's a professor at Rutgers. Uh, her uncle is Saeb Arakat, who used to be a primary aide to Yasser Arafat and leading. Uh, basically, the Palestinian side in negotiations with uh, Israel about various issues. In any event, Nora Erekat, uh was on NBC with Joy Reid and had this to say about what is going on right now in the war between Hamas and uh, Israel. Clip 12.
3: I've actually been really clear that I think that Israel has waged, now we're on day 52 uh, campaign campaign that is not a military campaign, but what is very clearly an ethnic cleansing campaign that has not achieved any military advantage. After 52 days and an incredible humanitarian toll of 14,800 deaths, including 6,000 children, 4,000 women, 36,000 injured, 60 journalists, where my colleague Moin Rabbani points out that Israel has killed more UN staffers than Hamas leaders. They have not... Achieved anything through that uh, through that campaign that onslaught of what legal scholars and genocide scholars has described as genocidal. In fact, the ca- the agreement that they had just agreed to in terms of the exchange of hostages uh, for hostages, many of these Palestinians should be understood as hostages, as they were, they not they're not prisoners. They did not have adequate due process.
1: Okay, and she continues the, the idea of ethnic cleansing is truly bizarre. First of all, because Israel, if it wanted to do ethnic cleansing, uh, why didn't they do it while they were in control of Gaza? During the years that Israel was in control of Gaza, from 1967 until 2005, the Palestinian population of Gaza quadrupled. More Palestinians moved there. They had more children. The population grew. And generally, since what Palestinians call the Nakba, the catastrophe, which is the creation of the state of Israel, the Palestinian population everywhere, including among Israeli citizens, has exploded. It's gotten larger. This is not ethnic cleansing. And the idea that uh, uh, you, you claim ethnic cleansing against a group that is 20% of your population in Israel proper, and they vote, and they elect members of the Knesset, they have a member of the Supreme Court. I, amazingly enough, about a decade ago, for the Jewish National Fund, which is one of the original agencies that helped to build the state of Israel, it was run by a Palestinian uh who was selected for that purpose because he was a citizen of israel in any event uh the the perspective well th- there's this from elon musk he obviously he made a, a ridiculous ridiculous tweet and i i know he regrets it because he's lost advertisers because of it it was a tweet that said that basically it endorsed what is called the great replacement theory And why people feel the need to accuse Jewish people of deliberately imposing people of color and importing them to the United States and trying to replace the hardworking Christian white population with foreigners who are going to destroy the country. The fact that Elon Musk endorsed that and said this is the perfect truth. Uh, this is the complete truth that he enjo- endorsed that replacement theory, at, at least now <clears throat> during his visit to Israel, where he looked uh, at some of the kibbutzim, some of the sites, the uh, far uh, communities that have been attacked and decimated by the Hamas murders on October 7th. He said uh, this. And uh, this is the proprietor of X, Elon Musk, clip 12.
2: It was uh, certainly been um, a day, I would say an emotionally difficult day uh, to see the places where people were murdered. I just did a talk with uh, the prime minister. And um, I think there's, I mean, obviously there are three things that need to happen uh, in, in the Gaza situation. I mean, there's no choice but to kill those who insist on uh, murdering civilians, there's no choice. Um, They're not gonna change their mind. But, and then the second thing is to change the the education so that a a new generation of of murderers is not trained to be murderers. And And then the third thing, which is also very important, is to try to build prosperity.
1: Okay, that sounds entirely reasonable. And uh, very different from some of the other ideas that he has recently endorsed. Um, There's Prime Minister Netanyahu, who fresh from working with Elon Musk and apparently did a good job speaking with him. uh, The prime minister was in a Twitter spaces conversation about the war goals that continue to be the goals of the uh, Israel Defense Forces. Listen, this is clip two.
2: You first have to get rid of the poisonous regime uh, as you did in Germany as you did in Japan yeah uh, in world war ii these were two there's no choice uh, there's no choice uh, uh, so uh, uh, that, that's a prerequisite yes no but choice. but then look at what happened i mean what you had in Germany was denazification and what you had in uh, Japan under uh, uh, Douglas MacArthur was a cultural uh, reformation mm-hmm. uh, and Japan that you visit today is so different from Japan of the 1930s. Germany that you visit today is so different from Germany of the 1930s. Well, is that possible in the Arab world? And I categorically say, of course it is because we've seen it already in two places. We've seen it in the Gulf States and we see that when you visit Dubai or when you visit uh, Abu Dhabi uh, or when you visit Bahrain, you see something entirely different. There was in fact a cultural change there.
1: And that cultural change, uh, B.B. Netanyahu says, is possible for the future. Look, this doesn't mean peace is at hand, but it means that the ultimate goal of this war is to at least be able to begin those steps toward peace and toward understanding. What's fascinating about this is I've mentioned this before – is that uh, in 1951, when Israel was only three years old, the best chance for peace ever was erased because of a murder, it was a murder. And on The Michael Medved Show, there's a story uh, out of New York City. And it's it's just one of those most unbelievable things that makes me, when I read this, uh, slap my forehead and really wonder what's happening to our country. I mean, what is going on with our country? There is a teacher uh, at... Uh, Hillcrest High School in Queens, which is supposed to be a pretty good high school. It's uh, 2,500 students, big high school. And uh, there is a teacher there who's... uh, where They launched a major protest against her and demanded her dismissal from the school. Do you know why? Because on her personal social media profile, she took her previous photo and took it away and replaced it with a new photo that showed her holding up a sign that said, I stand with Israel. Yes, the teacher happens to be Jewish. New York City officials are investigating a protest at a Queens public high school after hundreds of students marched through hallways screaming for the immediate dismissal of a pro-Israel teacher. The uh, recent episode at Hillcrest High School erupted after the teacher, who is Jewish, changed her social media profile to feature I stand with Israel sign. That was it. There was nothing opposed to or anti-Palestinian, just I stand with Israel. The uh, chancellor of the school, whose name is David Banks, said the teacher had been targeted for her backing of Israel and for expressing her Jewish identity, adding that it was completely unacceptable. Okay, that's okay. Right, good, fine. But after TikTok clips of the raucous scene gained online attention, the New York Post published a a story reporting the teacher hid in a locked office while the rally, which was actually a mob... Was rampaging through the halls and looking for her. the uh, The teacher hid in a locked office. The events at the Southeast Queens school became the latest high-profile flashpoint in the tensions over the Israel Hamas war that have roiled public school districts and college campuses. Uh, it turns out, in interviews, students, teachers. And local politicians briefed by the authorities on the protest described a chaotic scene during the protest, which occurred in the middle of the school day on November 20th. They also noted that student organizations had been making plans for a rally uh, days before it occurred. Just after 11 a.m., some of the organizers sent out a message telling their peers the protest was on. Hundreds of teenagers filled the school's third floor, and many did not return to classrooms when an 11 a.m. bell rang for their next class. Some rushed toward the classroom of the Jewish teacher, who was removed and taken to another section of the building. At around 11.20 a.m., school safety agents contacted their sergeant, calling for help with a disorderly group of students. Isn't that great? One student uh, later warned a teacher that the protest would continue as long as the teacher re- remained on staff. And on November 22nd, the school was placed under lockdown as rumors spread of another planned demonstration. Isn't, isn't that remarkable? And, and then I know that somebody would ask and say, well, what if, how would you feel? If your child was in school and a teacher put a uh, photo of herself uh, on her social media profile and the photo showed her holding a sign saying, I stand with Hamas, I would feel very uncomfortable because Hamas is a terrorist organization. It is not an organized state that actually has done remarkably well for the people who are part of that state, including the 20% who are Palestinians. There's another story like this, which is just unbelievable. I, I, and again, headline, doctor sues after firing over Gaza posts. And it begins, a prominent doctor is suing NYU Langone Health after he was fired as director of its cancer center over his social media postings about the Israel-Hamas war. Now, I immediately read that and said, oh, he must be getting fired because he expressed support for Hamas. No! The lawsuit uh, could propel NYU Langone, a major U.S. uh, New York hospital, into the center of a national debate over how much power private institutions have to fire employees for their online postings. What he had done... As he had posted critical comments about Hamas, the uh, the doctor, by the way, who's internationally a cancer researcher known uh, around the world, Dr. Benjamin Neal was fired as director of the cancer center. Most of the social media posts at issue were reposts of political cartoons. One of the cartoons takes aim at Western defenders of Hamas's October 7th attack on Israel. The cartoon shows a protest in which demonstrators are holding up signs justifying torture and rape. Another cartoon questions whether negotiating a two-state solution is viable with Hamas in power. And because somebody posts somebody else's cartoons like that, he's going to lose a job at a major hospital? Good for him for suing on something like that. It's just an unbelievable situation. Uh, this is, um, this is a really a very, very difficult moment. And yes, we'll continue talking about it. But we will also continue talking about a, a movie that is now airing on Netflix. And uh, it's a, an audacious film. It's a personal triumph for Bradley Cooper, but it's a triumph for him not just because of his makeup and because of the prosthetic nose they fitted him with. The movie, it's the Leonard Bernstein story. It's called Maestro, listen.
0: Now it's time for MedVed's
1: Entertainment Minute. Maybe you've heard something about the prosthetic nose that was used to disguise Bradley Cooper in the starring role in a movie that he also directed about the immortal composer and conductor Leonard Bernstein. It's called Maestro, now streaming on Netflix. Hello, I'm Lenny. He can be the first great American conductor. There's a price for being in my brother's orbit, you know that. That Sarah Silverman is the great musician's sister, warning away his potential wife, Felicia Montalegra, brilliantly played by Carrie Mulligan. Much more than the other recent conductor movie, Tar with Kate Blanchett, this film glorifies the work of leading a symphony orchestra and covers decades of an indelible artist's life and loves. Rated R for sexual content and some fleeting language. Three stars for maestro. Not quite a masterwork, but indelibly impressive. And also terribly, terribly sad, uh, because... Uh, it's a story of a marriage that was tormented by the fact that the uh, husband uh, was at least somewhat closeted gay male. And uh, yes, it's complicated. And uh, no, the movie is not for young children. But uh, for anyone who cares about music or artistry or even great acting, The um, for for people who are used to seeing... Leonard Bernstein uh, before his death in 1990, seeing him on TV and every, the 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 ability by Bradley Cooper to capture this indelible personality, extraordinary. Next time on the Medved show, who are the most popular politicians in the country right now in 2023? And the Washington Post has a, an editorial saying that schools should ban smartphones. All. Together, All together. And is that even possible to do? Uh, 97% of teens report using their phones during the school day right now. Are you going to go after those 97%? And uh, we'll also talk about the evangelical case for U.S. military aid to Ukraine. Uh, why is this a religious issue? We'll talk about that and much more and uh, continue taking a look at how the temporary pause in violence is working out for hostage exchanges and more for this greatest nation on God's green earth.
0: For special discounts on history shows, check out medvidhistorystore.com.